The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. And the central point that I want to make with the message is that as important as everything that we do in our lives is, it doesn't compare to the importance of how you show up. As much as our to-do list may tell us that that's what life is about, it's really about how we show up each and every day centered consciously in the sacred, embodying our virtues and our values, and having trust and faith in this thing called life. There's no more creative action that I know of than just being willing to stand in the fullness of your being and allow the doing to take care of itself. Last week, I got to talk to you about the way of non-action, and today I get to share with you um, something I'm calling the way of wonder. And of all the great spiritual passages out there from all the many traditions, one of my favorites still comes from uh, the stories of Jesus that we get in three of the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, in Luke, and in Mark. And here are the words from Matthew. At that very hour, the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a little child and made him stand up in the midst of them. And he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you can change and become like little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, therefore, will humble himself like this little child shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. So how do we enter the kingdom of heaven? You don't have to be like a minister. You don't have to be like the most righteous person. You don't have to be the best Democrat or the best Republican. You don't have to be the richest person or even the wisest person. You need to be like a little kid. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? You want to try it? Let's do it. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and go like this. (laughs) Let's start being like kids. We'll play all the time. We'll eat lots of cereal. We'll watch lots of cartoons. And we'll find ourselves in the kingdom of the divine. Easy enough, right? But to be honest, as I think about it, it's not so easy. You know, kids are very present creatures. It's hard for me to live in the present moment. I've got this thing called a past where um, I'm daily giving thanks but also regretting things all the time. It's hard for me to be in the present I worry a lot, so I'm always in the future as well. Kids are generally very innocent and trusting. Uh, Experience has caused me to realize I've got a lot of uh, growing young to do. Because uh, getting innocence back isn't, isn't so easy. And then kids have this amazing ability to practice the way of wonder. To be in awe. You know, I'm more apt to to practice from time to time the the way of meh, you know. (laughs) I think I know life so well. I've defined it so exactly in my mind that it's hard for me to embrace and live in the joy of the mystery, to truly live in awe. So I I have some maturing innocence to do. 
you know, speaking of the, the Bible, something that probably turned many of us off from, from traditional religion is, is this idea that we find in particular in the, the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament that, that you're supposed to fear God. You know, that, that God is judgmental. And the Bible even tells us that the, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And I read not that long ago, it was something very meaningful to me. I learned that the, the word translated into fear from the Hebrew that the Old Testament was initially written in is the word yira. And yira can be translated as fear, but it can also be translated as reverence or awe. Isn't that cool? That's, that works for me. The beginning of wisdom is awe. The beginning of wisdom is reverence for the Lord, reverence for life. And when we have that reverence, we live in contact with the divine. In certain parts of the Bible, it even kind of infers that God has fear. But I like the idea that God has reverence, that that's part of how the spirit acts in this world. That when you have an epiphany, when you make a heart connection, when you are able to utilize that power for good in the universe greater than you are and use it for constructive good in your life that God expresses as awe in you. That the Lord is well pleased in that which you are. There's a book that came out a couple years ago by William Martin called The Parents Tao De Ching. And it says... Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. Good words not only for parenting our kids, but for ourselves, right? To learn to delight in the ordinary, to practice the way of wonder. Now, Jesus, Jesus wasn't the only person to say, be more like a child. Uh, Lausa, hundreds of years before, said that to be one with the Tao or the spirit, one must be like a newborn baby. Can we all practice that? Maybe that's what meditation is, is just being (laughs) like a newborn baby, being present. I have a a good friend, um, Barbara, she's in her 90s, and she said upon meeting her new grandbaby nephew, she took a deep breath and she said, ah, my new teacher. And if you want to learn how to practice the way of wonder, Pay attention to kids. If you have your own children or you're watching someone else's, they'll, they'll show you the way of wonder. One of the greatest, if not the greatest blessing of my life has been getting to be uh, a dad to uh, my son, Gavin. Getting to be a presence for him. And he has been um, my teacher in so many ways. He's an emphatic, creative, committed human being. Brilliant, sarcastic, funny, dedicated, and committed. I've learned so much trying to learn and seeing the world through his eyes. I, I love 
his ability to answer a question that I ask him um, that he doesn't know he's not supposed to know the answer to and, and to share it in such a, a beautiful way. There is a book that came out several years ago by the author uh, Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. It's about a, uh, an old man who has a son and he knows he's not long for this world so he writes notes for his son. And he says this, and this is very much how I feel about, about Gavin. He says, I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you ever wonder what you've done in your life and everyone does wonder sooner or later, you have been God's grace to me. A miracle. Something more than a miracle. You may not remember me very well at all, and it may seem to you to be no great thing to have been the good child of an old man in a shabby little town you will no doubt leave behind. If only I had the words to tell you. One of the great gifts that Gavin has given to me is to allow me to discover childlike wonder again because he's let me reintroduce him to things that I loved as a kid. I love taking him to an amusement park and going on the same roller coaster over and over again. I loved rediscovering Cinnamon Toast Crunch. (laughs) I I loved introducing him that there was such thing as cocoa pebbles that turned your milk chocolate. Talk about wonder. I love playing baseball again and smelling the grass and the glove. I love reintroducing him to movies of my youth like Goonies and Gremlins. I even love hearing him again, oh no, not another movie from the 90s, such a long time ago. <laughs> so he, he bared with me too. And, and what it did for me is it helped me realize that these things I, I had left behind in my childhood because I was so mature and grown up, that by bringing them back to myself, I became even wiser, even stronger, even more myself. So rediscover what you love to do as a child. As many of you know, I have a new teacher coming into my life. Um, we met her just recently at our ultrasound. Her name is, is going to be Nancy June. There she is, sucking her thumb. Coming this October to a church near you. What a blessed baby. What a blessed kid, right, to get to grow up in this spiritual community with all of the amazing uh, investments that you've made in your youth here. I'm so excited. And, and gosh, it was such an amazing experience to be there with my wife, April, who's here uh, during that ultrasound and to watch this, this little life that I had something to do with, apparently, coming into, into being. And, and Nancy is my, my grandmother's name. And when I was in that, that hospital room watching that ultrasound, I, I could feel my grandmother's presence and I was brought back to sitting with her in her living room. She had cancer. And I was over at her, her place. I was going to take her to a blood test. And she was watching the news. And there was one of these stories about a miracle baby. And she was watching it. And uh, she says, look at that. Josh, look at that. Look at that and tell me there's no God. And it, it struck me first because my grandmother wasn't a, a very religious person. She was a a believer in the sacred. But secondly, there she was suffering, her body failing her. So many reasons if she chose to, to not see any miracle in life whatsoever. She could be angry with God. But there she was, she had the class and the grace to see beyond what was going on in her body to recognize and honor that miracle of life that she saw taking place. And there I was in this ultrasound room 
watching this miracle baby. And I could hear her voice, not with words, but a feeling that I can't even convey in words to you today. Look at that. Josh, look at that. Look at that and tell me that there's no God. Talk about a way of wonder. Talk about a way of awe. See, in our our teaching in religious science, the question should never be, do you believe in God? I'm all about having a beer and talking about all that kind of stuff, what God might look like and what God might think. The, The real question for us and for our loved ones is, how do you not believe in God? How do you look outside every day at the miracle of life and not believe in God? How do you make a connection with someone you love intentionally or serendipitously and not believe in God? How do you see beauty or experience wisdom or recognize in this vast, infinite space somehow we all maintain presence in this room together, be that by a random fact or by divine appointment? How could you experience that and not believe in the sacred? Again, we can argue and we probably always will about what God might look like, he or she, what God might believe. It doesn't matter. The divine is your ability to have awe in you. That awe that is saying, I am in you. That's the divine presence. That's all that matters. And when we live in that awe, when we realize no matter how hard we try, beauty is inescapable, No matter how hard you try, you cannot escape the fact that you are a child of the beloved. That no matter how much you live in your own constructs of life, I'll speak for myself, they can become quite limited at times. They will be broken open by that greater presence that reveals itself as grace. Frederick Buechner said, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. And we will find and discover that grace by embracing that childlike wonder. Practicing that way of wonder. Now I do want to make a distinction. Last week I made a distinction between non-action and inaction. And today I want to make a distinction that is pretty big for me. And it's recognizing that there's a big difference between being childlike and childish. (laughs) You know, Jesus said that you have to be like a little child to get into heaven. But he didn't say, blessed is she who throws a temper tantrum in the supermarket for she shall see God. (laughs) You know. Jesus didn't say, blessed is he who refuses to finish his dinner, for his shall be the glory of the kingdom. <laughs> you know, when, when my wife tells me that I'm acting like a child, she does not mean it as a compliment. <laughs> uh, and and I, I apologize if there's children in this room, because the, the real truth is, is that us adults can be much more childish than kids. But nonetheless, please go along with me. And I think that if we really think about it, a lot of us are, are in those polarities between being childlike and childish. Childlike is practicing the way of wonder. 
It's living with an open heart. It's embracing life's mystery and learning all the while refusing to live in anything but joy. To be childish is to be selfish. It's to think you're a know-it-all. It's to not be willing to share with others. It's my way or the highway. And I can see this come up for me in, in myself, in my everyday life. Sometimes I'm living in the way of wonder. Sometimes, like before, I'm living that way of meh or eh. I'm in that stuckness. I'm in that childishness. Sometimes as a parent, it's a fine line between being childlike in my parenting, practicing that way of wonder, forgiving easy and moving forward, and being childish. I could be a much bigger child than my child has ever been in that selfishness and wanting to get my way. I think we can find it in, in, at times in how we approach our work life, being childlike and creative or being childish and only thinking about what things matter to us. I can see it in how we govern ourselves. I see it more than any area in our spirituality. For me, there's a big distinction between a childlike spirituality, practicing the way of wonder, and a childish spirituality based upon wanting to get things our way and being right versus celebrating the sacred in all of life. You know what I'm saying? We'll draw some distinctions here with that. A childish spirituality is one that declares that it must get its own way. My God is better than your God. Sound familiar? My God is better than your God. My God can beat your God up. My God is the best God. (laughs) Now give me your lunch money or you're going to go to hell. (laughs) I'm not saying any religious traditions are, are this exclusively. We can even fall into this in our own tradition, this kind of certainty of wanting to be right. A childlike spirituality is one that values inclusivity and learning from people of all faiths. This doesn't mean you can't practice one religion exclusively, but it means that you honor the wisdom that's coming about for everybody, that you're not afraid to not know, that you have the courage to be in that mystery and to learn from those around you. If you're not finding God in one another, I have no clue where else you're going to find it. A child of spirituality uses manipulation and the illusion of superiority to maintain control. Their power centers are fear and guilt. A childlike spirituality encourages others to share in the way of wonder and awe. I I love this church. I love this sanctuary. I think I experience the divine more here than, than anywhere. But what I love about this church is there's a recognition that we experience the divine here, but we can also experience it anywhere. We can anchor ourselves in it here, but we can experience it in nature. We can experience it in others. We can experience it within ourselves. The divine is that awe saying, I am in each of us. Lastly, a child of spirituality sees things in black and white. It desires a false sense of certainty to maintain what has been in my life, that greatest of defense mechanisms of thinking that I know. And I hold on to it and sometimes even clutch onto it. A childlike spirituality sees from many perspectives, embracing life's mysteries. If you haven't noticed, life is complicated. 
there's a lot of different ways that we can see the world taking place. Right and wrong, yes or no, black and white is one of those. Yet it's, it's more than that. And that's what I love about our teaching is that we're willing to even take in ideas that may even seem like they contradict each other, but we find when they bring them together, they enhance each other and help us become more whole. One of my favorite spiritual symbols, I've got some with me today, is the mustard seed. Let me find one. And I'm sure we all remember something to the effect of what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, if there is faith in you, even as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move away from here, and it will move away, and nothing would prevail over you. Jesus goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted a mustard seed in the soil. And remember that, Barry will tell you this in the Bible class, whenever Jesus talks about planting anything, it's about going within. When he planted the mustard seed, what started off so small became the greatest of herbs and the most strong of trees. And it was so big and so strong that all the birds wanted to perch upon it. For me, this parable represents the heart of Jesus' message. It represents the heart of our mile high message. It represents the heart of my own ministry, which is to say, if to this day you feel stuck, if this day you feel a victim, if this day you feel broken, sick, unworthy, and you don't know where to go or where to turn, if you can look within yourself and find the smallest of spaces, the slightest bit of belief in a power greater than you are. The itsy-bitsiest willingness to love again. The smallest fraction of a fraction awareness that you are connected with a power greater than you are and you can use it. If you can find that smallest little bit within yourself, that willingness to love and to grow and to be the power that you are, and if you could choose to live from that, it will grow like wildfire in your life. It will uproot the challenges. It will heal the broken places. And you will become your wholeness once again. You don't need all the faith in the world. You just need the smallest, tiniest of openings and the willingness to live from just that. That's the power of the faith of the mustard seed. The power of of the possibility to know that even with the slightest amount of faith, you can move mountains. There's another story about the mustard seed from the Buddhist tradition, one of the oldest stories about the Buddha. It's about a woman whose son has died. And obviously she's grieving and she's sad, and part of her grief is she's going to healer after healer holy person after holy person saying, is there anything that you can do to bring my son back to life? And they can't help her. And eventually she meets the Buddha and she asks him, can you help bring my son back to life? And the Buddha in his wisdom and his compassion, he says, go find within your village some mustard seed from a home that has not been touched by death. She brightens up a little bit and she goes from door 
to door to door to door until she's talked to everybody in that village and she realizes she will not find a house that has not been touched by loss and that she could go to any village in this world and knock on every door and never find a house that has not been touched with grief or loss or change. And in that moment, she realizes the central teaching of the Buddha, that all things are impermanent, that life is about living it up, but also letting go. And although she continues to grieve her son, she becomes a disciple of the Buddha and his teachings. So here's this little seed, this little mustard seed, with two very powerful symbols. One, the faith that can move mountains, the possibility that can become at any time. And the other, the symbol that all things change, all things past, we must at times accept and let go. Now, do these teachings contradict each other? If we're trying to see them from black and white, perhaps so. A true practitioner of the way of wonder, Walt Whitman said, so I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. You know, try that one out on your spouse the next time you're in an argument. (laughs) But for me, and I'll only speak for myself, by understanding both of these teachings, they don't contradict each other. They enhance and prepare me to live a better life. They help me live a more whole life because I'm unwilling to leave any wisdom out. In one moment, I will turn to the faith of possibility. In another moment, I will turn to the willingness to accept. And in a way, they may fit together in a way that allows me to do both, to live a profound life, to live from authenticity and heart, and to have the courage to live in wonder. Do you have the courage to live in awe? Do you have the courage to make sure at the end of the day, did I have my moment of awe today? Did I live in wonder? All things don't have to be honky-dory to have it. Things can be challenging. Things can be hard. And yet, because of who you are and the divine in you, you can continue to choose to live in great joy, in great wonder, and in great awe. And my promise to you is that if you choose to live in wonder, the wonderful will make itself known in you, through you, and all around you. Just moving into a closing prayer, I close with some words from our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes. He says, How wonderful it is to know that the kingdom is within and not an external kingdom. For if it were an external kingdom, how should we ever know that we had reached it or contacted it?